We bless your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, God. Wonderful, wonderful, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hmm. I love the presence of God. I love you, God. We love you, God. Let's just tell him for just a second how much we love him. We love you, God. We bless your name today. We bless your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Great and mighty God. Oh, we serve you because we love you, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. This morning I read one of those great little parables. Um, it's in Matthew 13, 44, I think, about, it's the parable of the treasure, the hidden treasure. And, I just, and, and a light just came on in my head. That really is, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like this. And I said, oh my God, the kingdom of God is just like the man who went out into a field and he found a hidden treasure. And he went back and he sold everything he had. He gave up every possession, everything precious to him, everything of value. He sold it so that he could go back to that field, buy that field and have that treasure because he could see the value of the treasure in front of him. And he knew that if he could obtain it, if there was anything he could do, anything he could sell, anything he could get rid of out of himself to obtain that treasure, it would have been worth everything, everything. And we can recognize when we think about a treasure, too, that he said the kingdom of God, the next scripture, he said the kingdom of God is also like a jeweler, and I'm paraphrasing, who went out and he found a pearl of great value. And he went and sold all of everything, everything he had to obtain that pearl. Because what do I get if I get a treasure? I have my treasure, but I get to go and through the treasure get back everything that I would have ever given up. And that is just what the kingdom of God is like. If I just give up everything to him. And it may seem like God's trying to take from us sometimes because but there's a treasure in a field waiting on us. There is a treasure, a great value treasure waiting in a field for us. If I just give up everything else and obtain that treasure, what can I not have then when I have a treasure? What, what, can, what is withheld from me when I have treasure? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We've been, we've been talking about authority for a few weeks, taking our authority in God, and we've been talking about finances all morning, and we've been talking about relationship all week, and, and yesterday at prayer, um, I just want to thank Sister Rhonda and Brother Andy and Sister Dana for coming up and helping because they really helped get this revelation on how all those things are connected. We don't have God moving our finances without taking authority. And we don't take authority unless we have a relationship with God. Power comes from relationship. And a couple of weeks ago, I shared this at prayer. <laughs> because it's one of those things that 
y'all don't think I'm crazy when I say it, but so I was reading in Second Chronicles the um, the story of uh, the righteous kings of Judah. This was when Ahab and Jezebel were ruling over Israel, and uh, the righteous king of Judah, who was more or less righteous, he let some compromise into the nation, but he still stood for God. Compromised in one way that came back to bite him, and that was that he wanted peace with Jezebel. And so he married his son off to Jezebel's daughter. And so there was peace between Judah and Israel for a time because he married his son off to Jezebel's daughter, but he joined himself with the queen of compromise. He joined himself with someone who wanted to destroy God's people, and this was a man who wanted God in his nation. And so his son rises up, married to Jezebel's daughter. What do you think he did when married to Jezebel's daughter? He didn't serve God. God killed him. And his grandson rose up to power. But what happened in that is Jezebel's daughter became queen of Israel for about six years or so, several years. And um, in when she became queen, she did everything that Jezebel did because she was Jezebel's daughter that they invited into their country. And so the very first thing she did was she went and found everybody that could be king that would serve God, and she killed every one of them. And somebody found baby Joash, an infant, and they went and hid him in the temple. And so I'm, I'm reading this, and then, and then it's, it skips a little bit, and it starts talking about what's going on in Israel at this time. And I got so mad, and I said, I want to know what happened to baby Joash, God. You have everything in here for a reason. Now, you know that people was going to be sitting and reading this book and wanting to know what happened to baby Joash, and I've got to wait two chapters to find out. I don't care what's going on in Israel right now. I want to know what happened to Joash. But I got a revelation in just a second there on authority. Because, y'all please don't take this as heretical, but because I, I believe it came from God. So the author of Chronicles is operating in his authority. God empowered him to write the word of God and to chronicle everything that happened. So in his realm of authority, in his mind, he decided, I'm going to take a break right here and write about what went on in Israel. And that became the word of God because he operated in the authority that God gave him. He said, I want you to chronicle everything that happened, all that went on with Jezebel, all that went on in Judah, all that went on with these kings that served me and didn't serve me. I want you to chronicle all that. And so... Every word that's in the Bible is ordained by God. We know that. And here's the, here's the revelation I got that I think we have to get. is that when I act in my authority, God backs me up as if it was the word of God himself. Now, I'm not saying that God didn't want those two extra chapters to be in between what we found, when we found out about baby Joash. I'm saying that when I, when I sat and questioned, uh, wouldn't it make more sense, God, for me to just find out what happened to this baby? I don't care what's going on in Israel right now. But, but what I realized was 
the man writing Chronicles, in his authority that God gave him, said, this is the right way to do it. And so God breathed on the work that he did in his authority and made it the word, the perfect ordained word of God. We see? Okay. So when I act in my realm of authority, when God's spoken to me and I'm acting in my realm of authority, I may not have heard every single step, but let's say I'm teaching a cell group and somebody comes in causing trouble. I don't necessarily have to hear the Holy Ghost to know we got to deal with this person right here. But am I acting in my realm of authority and God backs me up with however I decide to deal with that. The only thing God can't back up is if I try to ignore it and act like it doesn't happen and not take authority. But if I step into my place of authority, then it becomes the word of God. Hey, I know y'all looking at me like I'm crazy because nobody's saying amen. But it's, I'm going to prove it to you. <clears throat> Moses, God said, go and touch the rock, and water's going to come out. Moses didn't go touch the rock. Moses got angry when hit that rock as hard as he could. He did not do exactly what God told him to do, but he was operating in the authority that God had given him, which was to call forth water out of that rock and to give water to the people of Israel. The authority was there. Even though Moses was wrong, the water still came out of the rock. Now, God dealt with Moses about being wrong, but, this is exciting, but because Moses operated in the authority that God gave him, God still showed up for his authority. Didn't matter if he was wrong, didn't matter if he didn't do it quite the way God intended. So, we can be free. Do we see we can, be, we can be free that when we are operating in the authority that God's given us in whatever area we're operating in, we, don't have, we can be free to know that I'm hearing from God and I'm doing the very best I know how with what God has spoken to me. And I can operate in authority right here and say, not any further, devil. You're not taking this. I'm not, I'm not allowing anything but the Spirit of God to operate in here. And the best way I figure out how to do it God's going to back up because I'm operating in my authority. In 2 Kings chapter 13, we can look there real fast. Chapter 13, verse 14. It says, Now Elijah was fallen, Elisha, Sorry, was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take a bow and arrow. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hand. And he said, open the window eastward, and he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And the Lord said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou hast consumed them. 
So, Elisha's dying. He tells the king of Israel, this is what you're going to do. And Elisha puts his own hand on the bow and arrow. Elisha took authority. And he said, I'm going to shoot the bow for you. I'm going to make sure that you overcome Syria. But, he, but then he gave the king something to do. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, smite them on the ground. And he smote them three times and stayed. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have smitten five or six times. Then you would have smitten Israel till you had consumed it. Whereas now you will only smite Syria three times. So the king has his arrows. Elisha said, I did this part for you. I made sure you're going to overcome Syria. But here's where you take your authority. Take these arrows and hit them on the ground. He didn't tell him how many times to hit them. He said, take your authority and hit them on the ground. He hit it three times. He could have hit it until Elisha said, stop. He could have hit it until he was tired of hitting and couldn't hit anymore. He could have done a bunch of things and taken his authority because he recognized the arrows were the arrows of deliverance of God. Elisha told him, and he said, I'm going to put my hand on it. I'm going to make sure that you can overcome, but take these arrows and hit them on the ground to overcome and to keep overcoming until you've smitten Syria totally until it's gone. But when it came time for him to take his authority, he just did a little bit for whatever reason. He felt self-conscious about hitting arrows on the ground. We don't know why. We do know, though, that he expected Elisha to come through for him. He expected that Elisha, who had, was always there to come through for him, was going to come through for him one more time. He could try it. Tap, tap, tap. And it was going to be okay because Elisha was going to come through for him. On his deathbed, pulling from him and waiting on Elisha to do something else for him instead of taking his own authority as the king of Israel. So what did Elisha say? He said nothing else. He says, now you're only going to smite Syria three times, and Elisha died. And that was the end of Elisha. That was the end of somebody coming in and doing it for Joash. Now, I know at that minute, Joash probably wanted to pick up them arrows and start hitting it as many times as he could. Because Elisha's gone. The reality came through that Elisha's not here to do it for me anymore. I had my chance to take authority, and I missed it. Now, I know, knowing God as I do, I believe Joash probably could have gone and fasted and prayed and and overcome. He did not do that, though. He just, he sat around and waited on maybe maybe another prophet will come along. Who knows what he sat around and waited to do. But he didn't do anything. He, they beat Syria three times, and then Syria came back and beat them. That's the story. That's how it goes, because he did not take authority. Look at the difference, though, between Joash, who was by all other accounts of a relatively righteous king, relatively, compared to everybody else at the time, and David. I love David because David didn't mind messing up. He messed up a lot of times, more than probably most other people we read about in the Bible. He messed up a lot, but 
he loved God. He didn't want, he was so consumed with hearing from God himself and his problems that one time he said, it's not, he said, I'm not sending a priest in to hear from God for me. I'm going to put the ephod on myself. I'm going to put on the priestly garments myself. I'm going to walk in there and God may kill me because I deserve to die for being so bold and so brash and so disrespectful to God. But I have to hear from God myself to know what to do with this. I'm going to put on this ephod. I don't want a pastor. I don't want a priest. I don't want somebody to hear from God for me. God chose me. Hey, God chose me. I'm not satisfied with somebody else doing something for me that would allow me to hear from God. I don't want somebody else to hear from God for me. It's not good enough. He, sh- he knew, actually, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that David knew that he was going to die when he walked in there because that is what happened. He he had been raised up in Israel, seeing many times, many times high priests go in there. High priests go in and die because they weren't holy enough. David had been out killing people. Married, I don't know how many wives by this point. And he put the thing on himself. He said, said, I'm going to die. I'm probably going to die. But I have to hear from him. I have to hear from Jehovah God. I have to hear from the one who called me and put me in this position, put me here to begin with. I have to know what to do. And if I die in the process, it's worth it. It's worth it if I can be in that presence for one second. If it kills me, it's worth it. David had a revelation of authority that we have to get, and that is that authority did not come from his position as king. Authority came from his relationship with God. And he knew that a little while, Saul and myself, king is good enough. A little while, having a priest do it for me is good enough. But at some point, if I don't get in there and hear from God myself, I have nothing. If I can't touch him, if I can't hear his voice, tell me what to do. I'm not going any further. I'm not going to, to kill these Philistines. I'm not going. I'm not doing a thing until, I've, until you speak to me yourself, God. Put on that ephod, grab the Urim and the Thummim which allowed the high priest to talk to God directly when he had all that on. He grabbed it all up himself. Probably should have died as soon as he put it on. It's too holy. He wasn't a Levite. He had no right. Had no right. You know how many of us feel like we don't have a right? I'm too bad. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the things I've done. I ain't prayed this week. Maybe I was in adultery last night and came in here this morning. You don't know. I don't have a right. David had no right, none whatsoever. He was a murderer. He was an adulterer. He was, he was by our accounts, by our churchy accounts, not a nice person. God actually said, you're not even holy enough to build me a temple. Let your son build it. You have too much blood on your hand. But God honored the boldness, the brashness, the 
deep desire after him that he just he allowed him to put on all the royal garments, walk right into his presence like he was the high priest himself. And say, God, I'm here to hear from you. I'm here to hear from you. Kill me if you want to, but I want to hear from you. Jesus, help us, God. He understood that authority comes only from relationship. Because when he had heard from God, what could the Philistines do? What could any any enemy do? Nothing. He heard from God himself. Sometimes it's okay to hear from God from a pastor or from a priest or whatever situation they had back in Israel. Sometimes it's okay. But sometimes, y'all know you've been there. You've been there. And if you haven't been there, maybe you're there right now. Where it's not enough anymore. It's just not enough. It doesn't keep me the way hearing from God myself when he puts it in my spirit himself. It doesn't keep me. Jesus. Jesus told us in Matthew 28, 18, he said, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Now, God had already given all power on earth to somebody before. He gave it to Adam. He gave it to humans. And we gave it away. Jesus said, I've all power on heaven and earth has been given to me now. He was the second Adam. And then he went on to say, I've given you all power over the enemy. Given you all power. So Jesus restored that rightful authority back to us. And let's look at John 5, 19. He said, then answer Jesus. Here's where he gives us the secret of authority. Jesus answered them and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. But what he seeth the Father do. For whatsoever things he does, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Where did Jesus' authority come from? Well, he laid aside all his authority in heaven, come down to earth. So where did Jesus' authority come from on earth? Right there. He said, I don't do a thing unless the Father tells me to do the thing. Unless I'm in prayer and I see the Father doing it. That's when I go do it. I don't do anything else unless I'm in prayer and I see the Father do it. And he tells me, this is how to do. This is what to do. This is what you say. And I get up and I go do exactly like the Father did. Hallelujah. And then he said, if I do it, if that's what we do as sons of God, if that's what we do, greater works than these. He's going to show greater works than these that we may marvel at God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So what was Jesus doing for us? He was restoring Adam. He was restoring the authority that God placed in us. And he was showing us exactly. So Adam's authority came from one place, and that was, we've heard it, we heard it a few times in this teaching on the bride of Christ, that he only received what God gave him. He didn't make up his own mind to do anything else. 
He couldn't do that until he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He couldn't discern his own way. He, he did only what God said. And so Jesus is showing us, you want authority? You want to overcome? You want victory in your life 100% of the time and in every situation? Here's how you do it. Here's how I do it. I'm Jesus. I'm victorious over everything. I'm perfect in all my ways. This is what I do. I pray. I pray. And I sit in prayer. Until I see God do something. Sister Michelle gave this revelation in Sunday school this morning. She was talking about a situation. And she pray, pray, pray. And God told her what to do. She said, maybe I just want to pray, pray, pray a little bit longer because I don't really want to do that. But, but she's doing it because God said. And so we pray, we pray, we pray like Jesus. And when we see God move, when we see God we hear from God. We know what God wants us to do. Then we do that. And we don't have to do anything else. We may take up an offer and you need a financial breakthrough. And, you, and you're like, I need it so bad. I want to give every dollar in my checkbook. And God says, give $15. You can't give all the money in your checkbook. If God said give $15, we obey God. The breakthrough's on the $15 in that particular situation, not on the 80 or whatever you got in your checkbook. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Authority comes from relationship. Jesus restored our relationship so that authority, Adam's authority, if, our relation, if Adam's relationship is restored, which is I only receive what God gives me, I don't do anything else. I receive only what God has for me, period. And when that relationship is restored, then, our, then Adam's authority is restored because the authority comes from relationship. Adam's authority was over everything, everything on the earth. Jesus' authority that he's given us is over everything in heaven. So he gave us, Jesus restored our authority over earth. He gave us authority over the enemy. Amen. We have authority. Hallelujah. We have the authority through relationship. Relationship breeds obedience. If I have a relationship with God, I hear from Him, I obey. We learned two weeks ago, if you missed it, go grab that download off the internet about obedience and faith, the connection between obedience and faith. We know that obedience is faith. Faith is obedience. Obedience is faith. They're the same thing. Faith builds authority. When I hear from God, I operate in His authority because I'm doing what He said. Hallelujah. So, when God gave Israel the promised land, they were ready to go in and take it. They had to go in and take authority. But they didn't take authority all at once. They didn't march into the promised land, plant their flag, and just start building homes. There were people living there. They had to fight every single one of those people. The very first thing they did when they walked into the promised land was fight Jericho. They had to fight and they fought, and they fought, and they fought for a generation. They fought. They fought giants. They fought, they fought people who deceived them. They fought people who were near. They fought people who were far. They fought people with iron chariots. They fought, they fought people who were bigger and stronger in number than them. They fought people who had been trained better than them. They fought all for the entire generation. They fought. And so we, when we take authority... Expect that something 
it's going to be different for us in that. Or we think it doesn't work. We go from one extreme to the other. We, un- we actually understand, somehow we understand that redemption doesn't work like that. Like I have, I, I renew my mind daily. I always have to keep going after God. God delivers me little by little by little by little. We, we, we've, we kind of get that revelation. But when it comes to having faith for God to move for us, we expect to walk into the promised land and take it all over. But it happens little by little. Sister Rhonda was sharing her testimony this morning. And she talked to me some about it yesterday. And, I, and what I see in them is they began to obey God in tithing. They began to obey God after that in taking care of the stuff God's given them. They began to obey God after that in, other, in every other area. And little by little, they began to obey God and say, I'm going to focus on paying off my debt. I'm, they, began, they obeyed God every little step of the way. Now, Rhonda didn't become a millionaire. She didn't just say, I'm going to give this offering of $500 and bless God, I'm getting $500,000 in return. Thank you, Jesus. That's not how it operated. She obeyed God little by little. And she took, and she's in the process of taking her promised land little by little. Little by little is how they did it. Hallelujah. So authority, we can't say authority doesn't work. The prophet of God came in and said that many people, most of our church are going to be wealthy. We'll be millionaires. Now, I can't sit around and throw my same little bit in the offering every time, whenever I feel like it, and just assume that God isn't working because I'm not a millionaire yet. There's a whole bunch of battles. There's a whole bunch of taking authority until I get to millionaire level. Amen? There's a whole bunch of, I have to obey God. So I won't ever forget, Elder Barbara was sharing a testimony that, she wanted to give in the offering one time. She didn't have anything, had no money, gave a pen, gave a pen in the offering. She had a pen. She gave it in the offering. Didn't have, didn't have two pennies to rub together. She gave a pen in the offering. Somebody told me yesterday that I was sharing our testimony about how we, we came out. I mean, we lived with family for a year and a half. We were, we were broke. We were broke. College education don't do nothing for you when God says, you got to learn to trust me. Don't do nothing. We was broke. Broke as a joke. And but we but we obeyed God in the little things. We started selling stuff on eBay. We sold our old kid, kids' old clothes on eBay for a penny a piece. We put them up there for a penny because we knew we'd make a buck on shipping and handling. And so the more things you put up there, it's just one piece at a time. And then we would give. <laughs> but we would give, we'd, we'd give our tithes, and then we would sow an extra 10% every time. We wrote it down in a notebook so we could see how much we gave and how, how God was coming through for us time after time after time. And so we could look at it and stir up our faith, but we could also look at it and see God move. We could see over time that God moved. In that situation, because we gave. Pastor's word this morning, I really hope that gets up on the internet. I don't, I, it's, it's, so, it's so great, I barely even want to say it, but I'm just going to encourage you to look for it and download it. Because um, the essence is, you don't just give, you give and you pray. 
We give and we pray. We pray and we give. We hear from God and we give. Amen. Hallelujah. Faith isn't any different than that work of redemption. Faith isn't any different than Israel taking the promised land. And I, I believe, we're, so we were at prayer yesterday, and I said, why is, why is it that we think of money as something different than all the other areas that we have faith in God in, in our life? We have faith in God that I'm not going to go back into drugs. We have faith in God that, um, you know, for people to be healed even. But we, our, our finances are so wrapped up in our minds that we have a very difficult time having faith over our finances. Amen? Am I speaking to anybody? Amen? Our finances are so wrapped up in our mind. <clears throat> and so we get this mentality of, I just don't want to deal with it anymore. I don't I don't have to know what's in my checkbook. Just run that debit card and hope for the best. Um, I know y'all laughing because you've done it. Amen. I don't want to look at the bills because I don't want to deal with it. I don't think that there's enough there. But if we don't want to deal with it, if we let that deception come on our mind, maybe we think there's just nothing that we can do. Sister Rhonda had a great word that, you're only on a, if you're on a fixed income, the only one who fixed your income is you. God didn't fix our income. Amen? <coughs> Hallelujah, Jesus. So what are we learning? We're learning that it's relationship. The relationship gives us the authority to take control over areas of our life. I believe right now, because the anointing's there right now, that one of those areas is finances that God wants to take control over. Hallelujah. So we may say, I'm stuck in this job. I'll never get out of this job. I'm not qualified for any other job. I'm, this, is the, this is the money I made. My daddy never made no more money than this. My granddaddy didn't make no more money than this, and this is just who I am. This is where I'm stuck. I'm always going to be broke. Always going to be going from one paycheck to the next. I'm always, always, always. But that isn't what the Bible says. Hey! We have to make a choice in those situations. Is the situation in charge of me? Is my job in charge of me? Is my, the lack in my bank account right now? in charge of me? Is, I ain't got no cash in my pockets. Is that what is in charge of me? Or can I take authority in this area? I, I'm becoming a millionaire tomorrow. Probably. Probably. But I can begin the work of taking authority in my finances by having a relationship with God, hearing from God. Jesus. We've all, I wouldn't say we've all done it, but most, I've done it, where I'm figuring up in my head, okay, I feel like I'm in need. I'm in need. I'm fixing to give some money in this offering because this is a good place to sow seed into. I'm probably going to get a hundred, at least a 60-fold return, if not a 100-fold return, and so I'm going to add up. All right, I need 1000 bucks. That means I'm going to give $10. That's a 100-fold return on $10. I'm going to get my 1000 bucks back. We try to manipulate God with our giving. We give out of need. I'm going to read you a scripture about it. 
2 Corinthians 9, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. It says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. We normally stop right there because, you know, preachers read that and they want to get you to give a big offering instead of a little offering. But let's read on what it says. It says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, out of the love of his heart, let every man give. So let him give not grudgingly, not not grudge. Don't don't give if you're not happy to give. Don't do it. For God loves a cheer, cheerful giver, because God is a cheerful giver. We we've learned before. If I love, I give. John three sixteen. It's the perfect example of this. For God so loved the world that He gave. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave. You gave yourself for us because he loved us, because of his great love for us. I don't think that the Father loves anyone in creation more than he loves his son, Jesus. And he gave his son, Jesus, so that Jesus could restore us into a relationship with God, so that we could, through our restored relationship with God, have authority, the authority of God, that all of us become the authority of God working on earth, and that in every area of our life, there is no defeat because we operate in the authority of God. And the authority of God says, I'm always victorious. The authority of God says, I'm always an overcomer. And so when we love God, we give. Hallelujah. He says, every man, as he purposeth in his heart, give, not grudgingly or of necessity. Don't give because you need. Don't give because you need. We have needs. Dear God, we have needs. But how many of us have kids and we've been broke? But we did without ourselves because our kids needed something. When we love someone that much, it doesn't matter what I have or what I don't have. I will give you what I have because I love you. I love my kids. I remember our very first Christmas together, we had, we had $25 after we paid all our bills. I don't even remember what we ate that week. We, show, we, we wrote each other notes on pieces of paper. That was a Christmas gift to each other. But we took that $25 to the dollar store and bought $25 worth of dollar store toys. Because Gracie was going to have a Christmas. Because I love my child. I don't have to have anything for myself if, I, if my child has to do without. No. I love her. And so how great is, that, is our love for God? If I love God, I'm going to give. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm not going to say, hey, I need, I need some money. I'm giving this money because I'm in need. I'm giving this money because I'm in need. I'm giving this money. I don't really want to give this money, but they said I'm supposed to give the money, so I'm going to give it. That's not love. If I love God and God says, give me $20. Give me, give me $20. I give $20. I give $20. That's it. I'm done. And God will do whatever God wants to do with that $20. I don't even care. 
He asked for twenty dollars. I'm I have twenty dollars. I may have only had twenty one dollars in my checking account, but I had twenty dollars. I'm giving it to you, Jesus. A few months ago, at the we were um, that might have been at the conference. We were we were given in the in the offering, and there was an amount I wanted to give, and I knew that was pretty much everything in our checkbook. And um, I um, and I and I reasoned all that in my head. I said, "This is pretty much everything in my checkbook." I said, "You know, I've got we have a Walmart credit card with nothing on it, so I can buy groceries <laughs> until payday. It was like ten days till payday. We only get paid once a month, so we gotta we gotta space that out. It was like ten days to payday, and so I was I was." I was reasoning in my head, and I said, "But God, you asked for you asked for this money. I'm giving you I'm giving you this money, whatever. But do you know that our income has gone up so much since then? I didn't ask for it. I mean, I, I did pray for other other times. I didn't ask for it as a result of that offering. Okay, I prayed, and I gave, and I sowed." But when God asked for that money, I gave that money because I love God, and he can have whatever I have. God loves a cheerful giver. That means somebody who is happy, happy to give. If we're not happy to give, then let's first get that relationship right with God. So that the love of God rises up inside of me, and the love of God makes me happy to give whatever I have because I love him so much. I love you so much, God, that I just want to give. Hallelujah. When I'm filled with that much love, oh, when I'm filled with that much love for God, what? then I have a close relationship with him. When I have that relationship with him, he's speaking to me. He, that's what Mr. Sister Rhonda said. She, he began to speak to her over her finances because she loved him and she gave whatever she could give. She gave whatever she had and she prayed. And then that relationship, and through the giving and through the prayer, she began to hear God. And she could begin through the word of God to take authority over her finances. Amen. I bet I've told three people in the last month, it's not God for you to still be poor. It's not God to still be poor. We come to God poor. I bet God's brought most of us through a period of being broke. But it is not God to be poor. It's not God's plan. It's not God's purpose. He didn't call you there. He called us to a relationship, and through that relationship, He has called us to greater and greater and greater things. Hallelujah, Jesus. I know there's a lot of people who are already responding to that, to that call to give, but I want to invite you right now to, to a relationship. And through that relationship, let's let God put in us what to give. Let's all stand up in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. If you can just be honest and say, that's me. I, I have need and when I've just been given out of need. 
If you can say, I, I give, I don't really like to give. I give grudgingly sometimes because I just need that money and I don't see why God wants it. We don't even know I need it. If you just, maybe you just don't feel like you just have that close of a relationship where love is just compelling you to give all of the time and you want to be that close to God, I just want to invite you to come and we're going to seek God for that relationship first. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, we desire a relationship with you where we hear your voice, God. Oh, God, I desire a relationship with you where I hear from you and I am empowered to take authority in my finances. Hey, Sunday. how many of you have not been able to take authority in your finances? You haven't seen God move. Just run up here real fast. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. 